0: Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out
1: anytime by emailing cbarron at eggviewsolutions.com. Hey everybody, Chris Barron here. Just a reminder, um, you have yet this week, if you're not signed up for the Executive Business Conference in Phoenix, uh, January 26th, 27th, and 28th, We have 17 states right now and about 40-something operations and uh, some really great, smart, sharp people there and and obviously the great speakers we've been talking about. So if you're not signed up and planning on it, the early registration is good until the 24th and then we go to a standard registration. But uh, hopefully uh, we can see you real soon in sunny Phoenix. Thanks. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Ag View Pitch. We are heading into another week. Um, this might be a short week. I guess we're heading towards Christmas and we've got Dwayne Lowry here. Dwayne, how's it going? Good, Chris. Glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you here You're actually in person. So this is kind of nice to usually have to do this stuff over the phone. So it's, it's great to have you here and and uh, get a bunch of your wisdom out of you here today. Is that sound all right? Actually, I come down here because I know it. When I leave, I become smarter just being here. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm,
0: know. I'm, I'm not even sure it has anything to do with what we talk about. It's just being close to you and just yeah, yeah. letting all the knowledge
1: just pour uh, off. No, that's really nice, but I don't think that's that's the case. But anyway, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about a whole bunch of stuff here. You know, like I said, we're. We're getting towards the very end of the year. Um, there's been a lot of interesting things occur this year um, in commodities and in the general economy and all that stuff. And I know you're a student of the economy as well, not only the commodity side of things. And, and so um, I want to start out a little bit with inflation. And I just offline here spent a little time with you, kind of showing you where our cost of production numbers are at and kind of what we're seeing with our clients and the information we get from the media is showing an inflationary rate in that, you know, 6.8 or 7 or whatever they say, they say inflation is. And then when we sit down with our clients and we start looking at the cost of production going into this next year, we're seeing a number probably closer to 15 to 20% <clears throat> on the inflation. Um, any thoughts on that of what we're seeing or on the inflation? It just seems like it's a little higher than what's being reported. Well, I think at the end of the day, the, what's, uh,
0: the only gauge that matters is what comes out of your checking account, and that's you know, closer to like you're seeing 15%, 20% or more at certain types of parts of industries or types of expenses, and even the uh, uh, regular um, consumer, their costs are mm-hmm. up, probably up more than what the Fed will tell us the, the uh, uh, inflation rate is, but the inflation is definitely real uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the expenses. But that doesn't necessarily translate to the, the uh, revenue that we're going to get.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what we see. And, you know, you and I talked offline a little bit. I was kind of showing you where, where we're at and kind of what we're seeing. And it's a pretty significant price increase on the cost of production. We're looking at um, pretty high percentages. But I guess, you know, from a risk management standpoint, um, and I'm going to start off with the end, and we'll start out here and end with this. But, you know... Um, what makes you comfortable with getting stuff covered? Because the risk is, as you said offline before we even started recording this, is you know the exposure of <clears throat> how many dollars we have out there. Because that's not probably going to come down. Those are, those numbers are, you know, whether it's crop protection or fertilizer, or land rents, and machinery and equipment, all all those variable costs, including paying ourselves. Um, talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, I think the um without trying to interject any type of opinion or thought about what may or may not happen, just step back and look at the reality. And the reality is that for most producers, they have their largest inputs for putting in a crop they've probably ever <clears throat> had. And um, most of those are already fixed. And if they come down at all by spring, it'll be small, very small. And uh, um, so any mistake that happens in terms of price or any problem that comes up with price, it's it becomes a, a really large problem. And then you've you got to separate and say, well, prices are at the upper end of where it's been for the last eight or nine years by, you know, a notable amount. And so if anything comes along, whether it's a supply and demand issue, whether it's an economy issue, whether it's, you know, trade tensions, whether it's, um, you know, some sort of economic conditions that cause uh The price to surprise people to the downside this is not going to be a small problem it's not going to be a small adjustment it's going to be very very large and I look at it from that standpoint and so I think the risk are are very large here without even you know trying to you know formulate an an opinion on it just recognizing the facts and the starting points it just seems
1: like there's a lot of risk here. So if we start with that in mind and continue that discussion for a second here, and then we'll get on to some other stuff. But, you know, in, in as far as rate of return, and we set a margin target, which is what I always like to see is, okay, what's our margin target? Is it 10% or whatever? We see a lot of operations that can probably achieve close to a 10% return. What what tools or what strategies, and, and it's not a recommendation, but what tools and strategies are you thinking that we should be looking at, you know, as we proceed here
0: every operation is going to be a different in terms of mm-hmm. how much risk they can afford to take what their costs are etc but in terms of the cost of of uh, getting a price established or protected the options are very expensive you know the mm-hmm. price mm-hmm. price of the raw product is high the, the volatility is up um, the option cost is is very high and, and it's just like the uh, crop insurance this spring is going to be very high compared to what it's been recently and that's because you're protecting a larger revenue, you know, dollars per acre. So there isn't anything here that we can do in marketing that's not going to uh, provide uh, some sort of sticker shock when you look at it. You know, at the mm-hmm. money options are going to cost you a very large amount, 50 cents in corn or, and, you know, a lot more than that in beans. But the um, I think you have to figure out some way of, of capturing that. My guess is. If, nobody's going to want to buy options on their entire crop. But if you have, um, if you're only buying options on, you know, 40, 50, 60% of it and you're doing forward sales on, on a chunk of it where you don't have the cost of the option um, and then you are locking in your, your maximum profit on just those bushels that you do in a more, you know, final type of a price protection mechanism... Um, that makes your overall cost of the, those options on your entire crop much less. But I think there's still value in doing that. Uh, for the guy that doesn't want to uh, lock in a price because he's afraid of what he might miss out on, you know, unless he's willing to take on all the risk and bet it all, about all you can do is, is do some of both, where you have a firm price locked in on a certain percentage and then you're using options on the other, rest of it. And if you're using your crop insurance as a marketing tool, and if you've got an 85% plan or you got a 95% plan, you might be able to uh, use your uh, crop insurance as a little bit of a marketing crutch. And so maybe you go out and you spend money on put options today. And then let's say that uh, sometime during the growing season, between now and the growing season, prices dip down to where they're below that crop insurance price. They're below that pay- payment figure, um, then you can lay that risk off and, and go ahead and liquidate those puts, or you can write some lower strike price puts against it to bring in some income and reduce your costs. There's a lot of different mechanisms and tools that are are possible, but you don't know any of them will occur You know, right now. you. But I think job one is to figure out a way to protect that revenue risk. And mm-hmm. it's going to vary on Um, everybody's threshold of risk is different but um, I don't think there's any really fancy way to do it but it's going to be some sort of a combination of a certain percentage in options a certain percentage in HTAs cash forward contracts whatever it may be but I think the choice Mm -hmm. of doing nothing um, is not a very good choice given that what I perceive as a lot of risk on the table here.
1: What do you say to the producer that's listening to this that's got you know, let's just throw some percentages out has, you know, cause we're, we'll hit old crop, old crop here a little bit too, whether it's corn or beans or wheat or whatever it is. But what do you say to the producer? Or what questions do you ask if they're sitting there with 30, 40, 20%, whatever, some percentage left of the old crop? Um, do you do you sit there and hang on to that? Or do you plow that into this next year and start focusing on the new year? Or, or kind of what are your thoughts or what questions would you ask?
0: Well, in the case of the old crop, um, whatever he's sitting on at current prices um, is profitable. And Mm -hmm. it's probably quite profitable versus last year's costs, et cetera. And um, I have a very difficult time trying to uh, discourage anybody from, you know, not taking those profits. I think it seems irresponsible on my part. So I'm inclined to encourage people to take profits as quickly, as fast as they're willing to do so. Um, In terms of um, uh, the the risk factor, it's just as great on the old crop as it is on on the new crop. Mm -hmm. And and we've got, we have a narrow window of time. I'm sure we'll talk about South American weather. We we have a narrow window of time where there's still a premium of what if and unknown for that South American crop. But we're not too far away from a date on the calendar where that premium is going to quickly fade away. And um, um, I think that producers that are holding on old crop here now, unless they are willing to bet on something going into a summer U.S. growing season, it seems to me like their window of opportunity is going to be quickly closing here after we get past the first of the year. The tables, I think, are going to turn, and you're going to have more producers on the side of the ledger that says, you know, I don't need the money today, but I, I can see in a very short period of time I will need that money. And, uh, all of a sudden the the pressure and, and for him to make the sale is maybe greater than it is on the part of the buyer to, to make the purchase. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And just to tack onto that, you know, when you look at cash flow, all of a sudden, you know, March 1st rolls around way quicker than we think it does (laughs) and, and physically moving the bushels. And then that, that leads me to a couple of things, um, managing basis, you know, um, Any comments on that too? I mean, do you you see bases staying strong into the springtime? And or what's your thought? I think it
0: probably stays um, stable or strong. I'm not sure that when I say that, uh, I'm talking about continuing to get stronger as as much (laughs) as I'm talking about it. It stays at the kind of levels where it's at. Um, But I think uh, that becomes a threat uh, probably sometime from April forward. Then, then I think that becomes a different story, but between now and through February, March, unless there's some big new development that we're not aware of, I would imagine basis holds together relatively well.
1: Mm-hmm. The last thing before we get into, I uh, ask again the South American thing that you'd mentioned, but um, interest rates, you know, one of the things we look at and we have a, a, a segment within profit manager where we look at the cost of carry where, you know, you hear a lot of market analysts talk about capturing carry and I always look at the cost of carry too and and that has been pretty insignificant in the last few years. So that that tool has not been used a lot because, you know, we've been not carrying the grain and you know, and the interest rates have been low and all that. If we see, you know, during the course of twenty two, we see three rate hikes and we we let's say that it's a full percent. You know, I don't know is he, they're, if they're going to do a quarter each time, or if they're going to do a half and then a couple quarters, or what. But you know, one percent, and you start looking at what that does to the bottom line. It doesn't take very many one you know, in the next couple of years to really change things. Any comments on on that as we as we look at you know finishing up twenty one and look to twenty two? Any any interest? Because well, I, I know you watch that stuff as well.
0: The cash uh, markets really haven't provided a lot of carry, and uh, they're probably not going to provide carry, but that statement becomes a different storyline if we get to the 22 crop for the 22-23 marketing season, Um, because at that point in time, if your interest rates are moving up a little bit, supply is more plentiful, carry out is more plentiful, these are a lot of ifs here, but then all of a sudden you might see a structure develop again where we do have carry that gets built into the market but i don't see carry being built into the market for the old crop and i don't think it's really part of the decision process for producers at the present time i think it's more a situation you know when do i need the money am i happy with the price and they're just waiting for you yeah. know the time to to make the sale and most of guys don't want to make the sale they really mm-hmm. don't want right. to they would rather make the sale when they need the money and and continue to hold inventory So um, I don't think the interest uh, is a factor right now, but I think it might be more important for 22, 23 Mm -hmm. and setting up a futures uh, price structure where carry suddenly does become a factor again. Mm
1: -hmm. And then that we'll will switch. I have one more question quick on that part, but it is, you know, when you look at, we talked about selling 2022, right? And so if you're Looking at options is one thing, and you talked about the insurance and different stuff, but if you did like an HTA or or whatever for the DS-22, if the carry does come in and you are one that's going to hold, I mean, those are pretty easy to roll out, right, and capture that. Yeah, and I and would eat. say at the present time,
0: um, HTA's on new crop you'd ha- you'd want to keep your HTA in the in the nearby in the new D's. crop or yeah. the D's yep. as opposed to going out to something in the 23 because right. there's not enough carry and and it is conceivable that by the time we get to the harvest of 22, we could have carry developing again. Mm-hmm. But at that if that ha- does happen, you're going to have been better off with that HTA in the DEES contract and mm-hmm. so I think that right. is where it needs to be right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So South America, you mentioned that, you know, what's what's going on down there that is of concern or is an opportunity or what are you seeing? What's
0: well, I think uh, it's important to have a little background here. The marketplace, the speculator, the weather people, um, people have followed the markets closely long before they ever planted their first uh, acre down there. They were talking about La Nina and about the possibility of having problems and of varying kinds over a large footprint of the area. And up until relatively recently, um, they've had a very good year down there. They've had early planning off to a good start. But now we've got areas that um, are dry, and they've been dry for a little bit in south, uh, southern Brazil. And the forecast over the next 10 days, two weeks, looks like it's going to stay mostly dry and we're also encompassing uh, quite a bit of Argentina over the next two weeks. Is going to have a dry forecast, and uh, if that lingers um, into the last part of January, um, that's going to be you know a growing uh, concern. At the present time, private estimates down there from uh, have been actually ratcheting up production estimates in both corn and beans, and so the problem isn't imminent, it might be for southern Brazil, but when you look at the overall production, we're still going to have a big crop increase from last year, and if we start to shave off bushels over the next two or three weeks, which is very reasonable that we probably are going to, uh, you're still left with a situation that you're going to have a greater supply than last year, what looks to be a plentiful supply globally, and I don't think it is a major problem if it doesn't get any worse than what I've described. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, if it's not raining for a couple of weeks, then you don't know what two weeks after that's going to be like. And so the marketplace needs to add in some uh, what-if premium and weather premium. And that, I think that's what we're starting to see here in the last few days. And uh, the markets have been volatile, but corn is at the upper end of prices that, that it's been for the futures market since the sep- July contract went off the board the beans are at the upper end of where it's been for the last couple of months, and there is room for more uh, weather premium to, to maybe push beans 40 or 50 cents higher, maybe push corn values up 20 cents. Those are reasonable things that could happen if we continue to have a, a weather concern um, you know, develop or add a little emotion to the marketplace. And I think market analysts are going to go into the weekend – here uh, and arrive sunday night that unless the weather is something decisively different and suddenly adds moisture i think the marketplace is going to look at the overall price action of that we've had in the last several days and say hey the market's performing pretty well here we're at the you know borderline upside breakout i don't believe this upside breakout will have long range sustainability but it could be sustained for a couple of weeks and it could add like I said, 30, 40, 50 cents in beans could add 20 cents in corn. That's very conceivable to me. But I think the bigger picture problem is that um, if South America is able to get good enough weather to have a normal or semi favorable crop, which is still very much in, in play, um, we're going to have a very ample global supply situation. And we've got China demand that's probably already overstated. And uh, we're going to have a situation that, despite the fact that ethanol usage in the U.S. is up and might work to pull down the carryout numbers in corn, I'm afraid our corn export numbers could come down quite a bit. Ukraine is going to have a significant amount of increased supply of corn available. combination of Brazil and Argentina available for exports there versus last year is going to be up significantly. And we already see all kinds of signs that China has uh, may have l- little desire to buy U.S. ag products if they don't have to. Now, mm-hmm. They're going to have to buy some probably, but they certainly can buy a lot less than what is currently anticipated. And they're going to f- choose to favor other mm-hmm. origins, I think, over us. And I think that is a potential threat, um, not only to U.S. agriculture, but just to agriculture in general, because... Um, even when you start to talk about 22 acres, um, there's, uh, it's not difficult to come up with a corn and bean mixture of acres that are very plausible and believable that will lead to production greater than what um, our overall demand will be, both corn and beans. So whatever the carryout is projected for at the end of 22, we're looking at uh, with the 22-23 marketing season, that might be a growing carryout. -hmm. So this is a a potential threat, and uh, uh, we're going to have to have a major uh, production—maybe not a major—we're going to have to have a notable production problem somewhere around the globe in order to keep these kind of prices. These prices are not going to be sustained with normal production, and South Mm -hmm. America was expected to be a good candidate to have a uh, threat to production. And so far, that threat has not been that significant. And even the ones that we're experiencing right now, it may only be a temporary
1: threat. So it sounds like if we do see that, you know, that potential of the rally that you just described we could see here in the next week or two, potentially, could be a, could possibly be a, one of those opportunities where you you sell the weather market. It always seems like, you know, whenever there's a weather market in the U.S. and you've got a weather market in South America, a lot of times those are pretty good selling opportunity good
0: selling opportunities and i think uh you know just look at what it was like la- this last summer in the u.s we had some really terrible statistical weather data mm-hmm. and we had crop conditions that looked really tough in a large area and yet we ended up with national yields that are almost record or they were record in corn and uh um so what what are we capable of producing if we don't have another threat like that this next year and how many speculators got burnt on that and mm-hmm. will be a little slower to be concerned about a production threat in the US in 22 i don't know the answer to that question but i mean it's mm-hmm. it's a reasonable question to
1: ask right right so what's your uh, what's your crystal ball look like for the acre shift you know or what you're hearing what you're seeing what's your thoughts on on you know the acre mix going into 22
0: I'm not sure what my own particular thought is, but I will say that a lot of the private estimates around, I'm, I've been surprised that they haven't deviated that far from what we had for 21, maybe a million acres here or there, but I w- would have expected maybe there would be a little bit bigger change. I think that the opportunity to have a, a large switch of acres to soybeans and away from corn, which at one time was a kind of a talking point, I think that uh, storyline uh, has been altered by the very favorable uh, harvest and fall field work weather that we had, along with the fact that guys that had uh, booked or prepaid for fertilizer, they had to either apply it or, or lose it, mm-hmm. the, the, you know. Right. Um, and you had every opportunity to get as many acres fall applied as you wanted to. And you, you drive across the country, you can see that it seems a like lot every, done. Uh, everybody got a lot done. And so that makes you think that, uh, you know, you've got a lot of acres that are kind of committed and you mm-hmm. maybe have less acres that could, could be switched. I know there are some cases in the Midwest that had wind damage the last couple of years. They've had rootworm issues that they were going to do a few more acres of beans than they've done before, but most of those are guys are coming off of a pretty heavy corn-on-corn, corn, mm-hmm. um, you know, ratio. And I think there's some deviation from that. Um, so I think the biggest uh, acreage switches are going to have to come from the outlying areas, and, and uh, I'm not sure where they're going to be, but I, I, I no longer think that it's uh, as good a chance of having a large acreage shift as it we may have had at one time for a possibility. Probably
1: picked up, you know, on the wheat side of things too. You know, this is the first time that in the last couple of years when we're analyzing the crop rotation decision-making, that wheat actually was a player, you know, with profitability and and some other crops for that matter, you know, cotton and some other things I think are going to, you know, maintain acres pretty handily just because of the margins and those other crops as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's correct.
1: So um, anything else that I didn't bring up, Dwayne, that that we should be hitting on?
0: Well, we talked about the inflation on the uh, expense side. That's obviously real. But I want to caution people. Uh, I see a lot of people that believe that because we have inflation, that means commodity prices has to stay up or they have to go up or they, they certainly can't go down, and that's just not the case. Um, they're a completely different animal. I mean, look at what the lumber price had done, and look how it crashed. They just – we're, we're only just beginning to go into the winter period, and we have all this drama in Europe for their cost of electricity or availability of it and their natural gas and concerns about that, and yet we've seen crude oil prices take a, a sizable nosedive. We saw natural gas prices drop considerably at a time when nobody thought either of those was possible. Those are strikes against inflation. We see the Fed that's been on 0% interest forever – um, deciding they are going to be fairly committed now to raising rates, regardless if, that, if it's a quarter percent, regardless if it's two times a year or four times or whatever it is, they seem committed to raising interest rates. Um, those are strikes against inflation. And I think that um, we don't want to be political here, but just as a matter of fact, um, if what some people are saying that the uh, – Republicans ga- make gains in 22 and make gains in 24, and if they happen to make, get control of uh, the uh, Washington, D.C., isn't that a threat to inflation? It, doesn't that change the dynamics of the printing press and, and how things are going to be happen from a legislative standpoint? And as the speculators uh, evaluate the landscape, I think something like that also makes them Maybe a little less likely or a little less enthused to buy commodities, and yeah. part of the uh, thing that everybody's been betting on is that they were going to buy commodities or continue to buy commodities. And I see strikes out there that might be against inflation. We see it for sure. That's that are things that are they're going to attempt to do. And then two big components to this inflation argument in commodities has to be high energy prices, and it has to be a weak U.S. dollar. The dollar has been completely the opposite of what everybody expected. The uh, energy markets have failed to carry through to what people expected. Those are two major strikes or threats against the inflation. If South America doesn't have a major production problem and they end up with a adequate or normal type of uh, production yield because their acres is already up, then we don't have the conditions in raw S&D numbers that Guarantee a supply threat uh, globally, and suddenly I'm not sure if commodity prices can go up or stay up here just because, or just because of inflation. I don't think that's going to be a strong enough argument, especially when the entire argument from a speculator's mind is being undercut by interest rates going up, by the dollar being stronger than expected, by energy prices not being as high as they thought they were. Um, these are a real threat, and I think they are things that are off most people's radar, but they need to be on that radar screen. Mm-hmm. And these are the types of things that that goes back to the beginning part of our podcast here, where there's risk here that's outside of what we are used to looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, if any mistake this year in terms of uh, letting revenue slip away is going to be an extremely expensive mistake because of the we're already locked into the high input side right
1: right and we're coming off last year when some of us um you know i of course didn't do this yeah right i did but you know we we started selling too soon so then you know even if it's a subconscious thing you're sitting there thinking i don't want to sell too soon here you know or i got to make up for what i did last year you know i sold that first 30 percent too cheap you know you gotta it's kind of like a golf game right you gotta you got to forget that first hole that you didn't do very good on and, and pay attention to the, to the second one and, and not, you know, let past, you know, issues or challenges mess with your mind as you move forward. Well, what
0: you're describing is very real, and I see it and hear it um, on a regular basis. But uh, the only thing I have to say about that is if you, over the last 10, 20 years or whatever not amount of time you want to look at, the guy that is always trying to sell ahead trying to sell at the times when there's a weather market trying to capture those times mm-hmm. when there's a premium built in because of that unknown and uncertainty year in year out or over a career that approach is better way than, better yeah. better than taking the approach that we're not going to make any sales we're just going to sit and, and bet yeah. everything on on yeah. everything being
1: Know, higher prices you get to be right about one out of every 20 or well maybe
0: maybe maybe a couple times out of 10 years i don't i don't know <laughs> yeah, but, maybe but yeah. that might be the one year that you've been beat up so badly you decide to join in and also make a sale you know yeah, right so it's, yeah. it's the, the entire marketing business is difficult but we know there's profits offered now and we also know that many years at this time you do not have an opportunity to, to lock in a profit like yeah. you have now even right. with the high input costs yeah
1: Good points, all good points. Great conversation, Dwayne. I really appreciate you being here and um, sharing your wisdom. Well, I appreciate being here. Yeah. Merry Christmas in advance, too. Same to you, Chris. All right, thanks. And thanks, everybody, for listening. You guys all have a great week, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again next time or talking to you again next time, I guess, on the Ag View Pitch. Thanks.